This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to, or welcome back to, the Bright Focus Chat. Today's topic is living your best life with low vision. We have two guests today who are going to give really valuable perspectives and answer your questions. Today we have Dan and Chris Roberts. They're a husband and wife from Missouri, and they're going to talk today about how they've been impacted by vision loss, um, how they've become uh, advocates uh, for for people that are that are facing vision loss, and they'll be able to answer a lot of uh, questions about how to uh, live life as, as as best you can with low vision. If you're new to the Bright Focus Chats, welcome. Let me tell you what we do. Each month, we spend about 30 or 40 minutes with leading experts on vision disease and eye health. Today, we'll have the opportunity to mention an upcoming publication that, that will be available free of charge from Bright Focus, and it's, it's called My Home Insight Kit, and it's a new guide to uh, safety around the home that was uh, the, the product of collaboration between Bright Focus, uh, Dan and Chris Roberts, and other leaders in, in, the, uh, in vision health. And so today, I'd like to turn to our guests. Dan and Chris Roberts, we're going to tell you a little bit about their experience with low vision and caregiving, and they'll offer some uh, some tips and, and be glad to answer answer your questions. So let's start off, Dan and Chris, tell us a little bit about uh, about your background and, and um, how you came to uh, to be where you are today. Hi, Michael. Thank you very much for inviting us today. We, uh, we, we love to talk about our experience because we hope it helps other people as well. So... <clears throat> I'm a, I was a former teacher, uh, I am a former teacher, uh, and, and when I was uh, nearing retirement age, I was uh, diagnosed with uh, a low vision condition called central serous retinopathy, and then that was followed by macular degeneration, so um, I started losing my vision at a pretty early age, around age 50, uh, and I'm now 73, so I've been living with this for a while, and Chris has been putting up with me for that long, too. So uh, that's why we're here is because we, would, we, we like to help educate other people uh, about how to live well with this disease uh, or with any kind of low vision disease. Yeah, well, well thanks, Dan. And what was the hardest part of um, adapting to vision loss? Um, the fear of the unknown was the hardest thing. Uh, not knowing what to expect, and uh, I'm always I'm one who likes to plan ahead. And when you uh, have something like this, you can't plan ahead. Uh, you go through what we call chronic depression. Uh, it's not like you're uh, you have a death in the family and and you grieve and then you you learn to live with it and everything goes from there. Uh, having a disease like this, uh, you continue to go through the process over and over again every time you lose vision. And so not knowing what to, uh, how to plan your life was probably the hardest thing that I had to go with. Um, and that was the psychological impact anyway, that uh, the, the functional impact wasn't as bad because I did have Chris uh, as my caregiver and she has helped me immensely to get through those rough times. Uh, Loss of confidence, I think, is probably number two on the list. Uh, that you, you suffer from that because you don't feel like you're going to be able to plan anything. Uh, you also start having to do things differently, and you have to learn new ways. And uh, sometimes at, at this age, you don't want to have to learn new things. You, you're ready to settle in and retire and go on cruises the rest of your life. But uh, that didn't happen. And 
uh, you lose your confidence because it takes so much longer to do anything when you don't have good vision that you feel like you're just kind of worthless. So I went through that, and uh, Chris had to go through it with me, so I'll let her let her chime in here. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, how would what was the the adjustment like for you? Well, like he said, I the adjustment was it's still ongoing because he's you know it progresses. Uh, the adjustment was he was always the strong one who always took care of me, and I went to him. And now, in some instances, we had to reverse that. But I got used to it. But it, it was, you know, the fear that he was going to go completely blind, of course, but now we know that that's not true. And it's, it was just, you know, waiting. What's going to happen the next day? What's he going to wake up and see or not see? And that that was the hardest part. Yeah. Did... um. Chris, kind of follow-up question. I mean, did did you feel like the you uh, you and Dan were sort of made the changes together, or the times that one of you was maybe a little ahead or a little a little behind the other in terms of in terms of these adjustments? Uh, no, we went together because we talked about it all the time. We had total openness in our conversations about what he was feeling and going through. He did hide some of it from me, but I knew better, and. He, <laughs> And no, we did it together. We knew, and of course, we'd been married a long time by then, so we knew each other's feelings and moods, and if there was something wrong going on, and we could sense it. But we did the whole thing together. Well, that's we, that uh, really speaks to that. We ahead, dealt Jim. with it uh, together too. We didn't. Yep. Uh, I believe being a teacher, uh, at in my soul, I think I was born to be a teacher. I also like to teach. Uh, and what I, I like to learn, and then I like to pass along what I have learned. Uh, and so we did a lot of uh, studying. She and I both sat in on uh, doctors' meetings and conventions and that kind of thing uh, to learn about this situation and uh, what the research was doing and where we could find resources. And uh, we did a lot of studying, and uh, I share everything with her as far as what I learned because I know it's going to help her understand me, which helps me. So it's kind of a a shared situation, and then sharing with others. Um, we, of course, have a, a large su- support group uh, network and and a, and a website presence. So we're that's that's how we deal with it is by not just concentrating on our problems and and living in the valleys between the mountains. Uh, I call them. Uh, there are there are my my grandmother used to say that uh, there are. For every mountain, there's a valley. You're going to have to go through the valley to get to the mountain. Uh, and sometimes it's hard to get to that mountain when you're going through a depressive state. And so those were the times when uh, when Chris and I had to work together. She held me up as we approached the mountain. And we always do get to the mountains eventually. Um, so it helps to have someone like that to help you reach that next mountain uh, and if you don't have a spouse or a caregiver, uh, then you need a support group, and that's what organizations like uh, like uh, your organization and my organization and several others are, are trying to do, and that's to yeah. help people uh, to get through this. And so it is. It's an yeah. ongoing process. Yeah, well, that's great power. You know, very, very inspiring advice. Um, I don't, uh, Dan, Chris described you as, you know, kind of a, a – strong, take care of things type of person. Um, was there a transition to learning how to ask for help or admitting um, 
you know, that, that something was difficult? Was was that a transition for you to make? He's still going through that. <laughs> I still get still ongoing. Yeah. Uh, the, I think the light dawned on me when I was trying to fix a light switch early on. Uh, I usually am very handy and very quick about things, you know, like that, the simple things around the house. Uh, and I was working on this light switch, and I kept – I was having trouble seeing it. Uh, dim light is a problem for me. I, I only had two hands, and I, I didn't have good light. And so uh, that was being causing me very uh, – a lot of, de- a lot of uh, depressive uh you were frustrated, yeah. Yeah, it started entering in. I was I was losing my confidence. I was ready to just throw the whole thing in and, and forget it and have somebody come in and do that for me. And she simply came over and held a flashlight for me. And I said, wow, that helps. And I realized, oh, maybe I can't do everything by myself. And maybe I can't do everything as quickly as possible. I'm going to need somebody to help me or at least tell me something easy like get better light, for heaven's sakes. You're not concentrating here um, yeah. and then to hold the screwdriver or something like that you know uh, and then yeah. mainly give yourself the, the gift of time and that is to realize I, I'm it's fortunate that with uh, macular degeneration uh, we are most of us elderly and we have time we're not fully employed anymore so I had to realize okay I don't have to hurry and get this light switch fixed I can take my time so I slowed down she held the light she held the tools and we got the darn light switch fixed and so we realized at that point I think that was the moment when I realized okay I can do this but I've got to make some adjustments Um, I like the phrase uh, if you if you think your glass is half empty they say um, or half full. Well, my my answer to that is, if you think your glass is just half full, or, or if it's half empty, you just need to get a smaller glass. <laughs> great, great advice. Don't, ex- yeah, don't expect so much, and and yeah. become proactive too. Uh, that's a good way to handle this problem. Uh, take care of it before it becomes a problem for you. Uh, annual eye exams. Uh, improve your diet. Keep moving, uh, and help other people. That's great. So, so Daniel, you mentioned the the changing the light the light fixture. Um, were there other type of things around the house or out of the house that you had to um, had to change or or in some cases no longer do? Chris, you want to take well, that? Well, yeah, I don't move the furniture as much as I used to. Which <laughs> I love to move furniture. I don't move my furniture anymore. Uh, just little changes like that. I make sure things are in the same place in the refrigerator where they're easily found and in the silverware drawer and just stuff like that. Make sure everything's put back where it's supposed to be. So it's just easier for him to find. He could dig around and find it, but why make him go through that? Uh, our kids have learned to do that too, and our grandkids and everybody. We just, you know, kind of keep things and keep things safe. Don't leave stuff in front of the stairs or on the stairs and that sort of thing, you know, just practical stuff that some you normally wouldn't think of every day because you walk by it constantly. So it's, you know, you just got to make sure things, and we know it, his vision is worse on his left side, so don't set anything over there like his glass and different things like that. So you just, you you learn as you go. Yeah. No, that, that that's... um. That's very helpful, some real, very good specific tips there. I was wondering, Chris, when you think about, uh, you know, how, what becoming a caregiver, 
how did how did something like that change your outlook? What are some of the the uh, the parts of being a caregiver that have been very rewarding for you, and what are some of the parts of being a caregiver that have that have been challenging? Well, I was born into a family of caregivers, so I just kind of naturally fell into it. Uh, it it's a little more time consuming. Uh, you do have to adjust. I have to adjust my schedule sometimes around his. Uh, I have to. I do all of the driving, so if I go anywhere, I have to be back. He can't meet me someplace if we go eat or our plans change or something. I got to come back and get him, which is not a big deal. It's just you know one of those little things that you don't think about. It's it really didn't interfere in my life because I've been fortunate. I never worked. I was always a housewife, mother, volunteer worker. And so I didn't have a schedule that I had to change or a job I had to keep. Uh, Dan still worked jobs, even though he was losing his vision, and always the provider. So I've been able to be free to do that. And and I've had support from our kids. They all live here in town within 20 minutes of us. And we're doing fine. And we realize how difficult it is for some people who do not have that support system or do not have a 24-7 caregiver and that's another reason we're trying to help them find different ways where they can get the support and the help that they need. That's great. How and do you it wasn't take care without, of It wasn't without friction. Uh, there, there are times when she has made mistakes that are understandable, that, oh, yeah. that people will make. You want to tell him about the time you asked Oh, me? yeah. We were driving along the street one time, and Dan said, watch out, there's a deer. And I said, what do you mean there's a deer? You can't see. You know, but he can. He's got peripheral, and he does have some vision. And, of course, that that was the wrong thing to say, and, but we're getting over that. Now we can say it with jest and humor and, you know, just get through it, and we can make jokes about it. But in the beginning, it was it was difficult. It was touchy, and it, it was hurtful and scary and the whole thing. Sure. But, uh yeah, you know, but that's yeah. like in any situation. You got to be careful what you say to your spouse. You know, we all know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's also times when she will enable me, and yep. I ask her, "Don't enable me, because I am human, and I'm going to start taking advantage of you." Uh, so you, there are times when you don't want to help me as much as you wish you could, because there's a guilt factor with a caregiver. They feel guilty, and Chris has told me this. She feels guilty because uh, she can't do anything for me. This is the one thing she can't do for me, and that's to make my vision better. And so sometimes she wants to uh, make up for that by helping too much. And uh, I have to have to tell her not to do that because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to start taking advantage of her, and that wouldn't be fair. But yeah, I no, <laughs> so that's, that's the rub. <laughs> yeah, so so Chris, with with these um, uh, you know, roles that you that you serve in your around the house and your family, how do you make sure you take care of yourself so you're able to 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 be a good caregiver? Oh, that's take not care a of your. your... <laughs> I do. I'm a, I do craft work and I take time to do things and. Dan, you know, I know he's okay with me just, you know, but he's the person that likes to go on his own and he works all the time on the computer working with the support group and different things and his projects. And so I have plenty of time then to take care of myself. I leave, I go out and I do things and I go shopping because he's okay alone. And it's just his eyes, you know, that are the problem and we're working on that. So 
No, we. I make time for myself because I know that. Because sometimes I can get just it just really beats you down, and you're just so tired you can't do anything. So you got to be careful that you don't let that happen. Uh, yeah. I've done that with caregiving for other people for other reasons, and I can see what can happen. So it's yeah. yeah. It's 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 a good it, it's valuable valuable yeah, it's, approach. And it's not selfish. It's not selfish. It really isn't. You know, it's like keeping yourself healthy to take care of whatever. It's your children or someone who's sick or whatever. You you got to take care of yourself. So. Yeah. No, I, I I certainly agree. We have a couple questions from our listeners for you. Um, one, uh, we have a question about about diet, and I guess for for Dan and Chris, it's probably go a couple different directions. Like, did it? Uh, I know there's, there's certain uh, foods that are better for eye health. So, um, and there's also the the preparation, the purchasing, and the preparation of food. So, I guess you can take the question as broadly or narrowly as you like. But, but have has your um, has your your diet uh, changed as a result of, of of low vision? I was fortunate in a way, a blessing in disguise, to also be diagnosed with type two diabetes uh, about ten years ago, and so I had to change my diet, and that was also benefiting my eyes. So I was forced for two reasons uh, to change my diet. And the one thing we preach that I don't always follow, of course, I love hamburgers, uh, but we need to eat better as far as antioxidant vegetables and and fruits uh, and uh, the good carotenoid uh, vegetables, the yellow ones. Uh, All of those are good for our eyes. Uh, We need to not... uh, we need to work on our weight. I've just lost recently 15 pounds, and I'm feeling terrific. And those are things that are going to help the vision as well as the physical, uh, general physical condition. And so those are important things. Of course, there are supplements, but uh, usually those are only going to help you in the earlier stage development of uh, macular degeneration, and that's the ARIDS-2 uh, formula, which is excellent for slowing down the progression. Once you've lost that vision, though, uh, a lot of doctors will say, well, you're, you're not going to get any worse, uh, so you might as well say, I mean, you're not going to, yeah, you're, you've reached the maximum now, the loss of central vision, and so those supplements aren't going to, to slow down the progression because it's not progressing anymore. Uh, that's a point at which uh, many people do reach, not all of them, only about 50% of people reach that point where they have total loss of central vision. Um, so nutrients are good because we don't eat well, and that's what I do. I told my doctor, don't expect me to do a lot of exercising. I'm just not that kind of guy. And uh, he said, okay, I'm going to give you a, a pill <laughs> that's going to watch your triglycerides for you. So um, I break the rules uh, sometimes and uh, ask for that kind of uh, uh, help simply because I also want to enjoy my food, and, and I know there's a lot of people that do. But there are ways around it. If you exercise, you can pretty well eat uh, what you want, um, and stay health, uh, stay healthy. So, another question that's that's come in for uh, for Dan and Chris is driving. Um, I know Chris, you mentioned that uh, that you do the driving. Was there a, a a transition to that, and if so, how did how did that go? Well, the only transition was is he used to drive all the time when we'd be out together in the car, and um, now I drive all the time, and he's a terrible backseat driver. <clears throat> He, because uh, his one eye is worse than the other, so he has a depth perception problem, and he's always yelling at me to stop. And I, why didn't you stop earlier when I was just, fine, you know, because he's perceiving things differently than they are. And uh, we had a few rounds about that, and finally I just told him to be quiet and let me drive. And 
we still once in a while have something, but you know, we know it's coming. We know the situation is there, and it's okay. And of course, it frustrated him that he couldn't drive. You know, that takes away your independence, and he has to depend on me to take him somewhere or do something, and that can be frustrating. But uh, it is what it is, and you just, you know, you take it day by day and situation at a time, and you deal with it, and you get through it. My turnaround moment there was when I was driving my granddaughter home from a movie, uh, and she was in the front seat with me. She in the was, beginning. Yeah, that was back many, many years ago. And uh, I started to pull out from an intersection, and she screamed, and I hit the brake, and a huge truck pulled in front of me. I didn't see that thing coming. It came from my left, and uh, we would have been right in front of that truck. And I and I drove about thirty miles an hour the rest of the way home. It was a uh, dim light, by the way. It was it was evening or even nighttime, if I remember. And uh, that's when I said, "Okay, I'm not driving with anybody else in the car with me if I even drive at all." And so uh, I'm, I'm very happy to let Chris do it because uh, that was too close for comfort. I understand it's a very uh, a very intense situation. So our, our the, the caller, the listener that asked about driving, was also wondering, Dan, in your support group. Uh, are there devices, telescopic lenses, or anything that might help someone with their driving, or is it, or is it just not something that can be addressed in that manner? There's an extraordinary amount of optical and non-optical devices out there, and also electronic technology. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, the cost of them, especially if they have lenses in them, like magnifying glasses or electronic magnifiers, is very high. And Medicare uh, doesn't cover that because of an old mistake that they made uh, years ago when they first made the uh, when when Medicare started paying, reimbursing, they said they wouldn't reimburse anything with lenses in it, and they meant glasses. Well, that's still hanging on. That's still in the in the statute, and so now even magnifiers aren't covered, and so we have a lot of people who cannot afford these devices, and that's a huge issue right now. It's one that we have lobbied Washington uh, a couple of times. There's been two bills in Congress that haven't gone any further uh, in the last uh, decade uh, to correct that. And, and of course, the question is always asked, where are we going to get the money to reimburse that? Well, there's money. They, they, you know, they're always willing to move money from somewhere uh, to, to help with what they really need. So we need to keep pressing uh, for uh, Medicare reimbursement of low vision devices. But they are very much available. I've got a website uh, uh, with Prevent Blindness, and uh, there's a, a whole section of links to all of these devices, virtually all of them, uh, both electronic and non-electronic devices that people can get uh, from the companies. So they're there. And then paying for them is the next issue. Yeah. No, it's it's that's good to know. Um, I want to, uh, Chris and Dan, I want to go back. You, you mentioned uh, your grandkids and how do how does vision loss impact the, the the time you spend with them? I mean, how do you explain vision loss to your grandkids? Are there are there questions or concerns that they that they ask about uh, to the two of you? Well, uh, what's funny is our first grandchild was born because he was diagnosed, and we thought he was going to go completely blind for us. So our son and his wife hurried up and got pregnant. I thought that was sure you did, uh huh. <laughs> Uh, they weren't married at the time. I said, right, uh-huh. But anyway, uh, no, the kids have grown up with it, and they know that, you know, Grandpa has trouble seeing, and they're fine. They're all older now. They're off into college and whatever, and 
So they've always been very supportive of it. It has made them very aware of other people uh, who they notice might be having trouble seeing. Uh, and so they're aware of that out in the public. And if somebody's having trouble seeing, they offer to help to read something or, or they'll get out of the way because they know they can't see them. And it it really opens, this is ironic, really opens your eyes to what's going on around you. And uh, they We've spent time with them anyway. They they all live right here, so that never made a difference at all. Sometimes we wish they would, but no, actually we don't. We're always happy to have them over. <laughs> As for explaining to them, uh, a lot of times the, the question they ask is, how come you don't look blind? Uh, and, of course, the sarcastic answer to that is, uh, well, you don't look stupid either. <laughs> but I've never actually said that to anybody. So I'm waiting for the moment. Yeah, but I do tell them. I, I, I tell them by way of de- to answer your question by way of demonstration. I'll have them put their fist in front of their eyes, about a foot away, and say, "Now try to see me," and that's pretty much what it is. Uh, and uh, demonstration, I think, is the best way. And then just give them a simple explanation until they're old enough to understand the uh, the physics of it. If you wanted to get into that. Uh, but they do love to help, and that's one way that I've gotten to spend uh, quality time with them because they feel like they can, they can help me, so they hang around me to help, and I think that's wonderful. Even though that's kind of a playing the blind card, uh, it, it's uh, nice to have them with me, and sometimes they're helping me unnecessarily, but it's still nice to, to have them there with me. Yeah, uh, some some great experiences. We have a, a, question, a caller from New Jersey that uh, wants to talk a little bit about, would like to hear what you do for reading. Are there... Um, are there books on tape or there, are there assistive devices or smartphone apps or anything that, that can help you uh, can continue reading books, even, even with low, low vision? Well, reading, uh, actually reading, uh, you can do with magnification. Uh, unfortunately, you're using your rod cells in the peripheral vision, and they're not very good uh, at seeing. And so it's a frustration to try to read if you don't have any central vision loss. So we fortunately have... Uh, reading machines now. Uh, we have an iPhone app that can read for you. It's free. Seeing AI, it's called. So anybody that has an iPhone, uh, they don't have to read now. They can just point this their camera on their iPhone to a sign, and it'll read it for them. So things like that are really valuable. And of course, there's the audio books and the talking books program through the Library of Congress. Uh, that's a, a lot of people are are signed up for that. There's about a hundred thousand books on there. So you're, but the, those who like to read and actually uh, turn the pages, they can buy an electronic reader where they put the book underneath it, and they do have to turn the pages and hit the button for it to read to them. So they're still being actively reading. Um, but you you do miss being able to just uh, sit there and turn the pages and read a book. Uh, that's uh, just not possible, but we have to give up a lot of things as we go through life, like turning somersaults, uh, taking two stairs at a time. Uh, these are things we realize as we get older that we just can't do anymore, and I'm afraid this is one of those things uh, that we just have to admit, okay, I've got to find a way to work around this. Yeah, no, very, very understandable. And I know that uh, we mentioned earlier there's going to be a new publication available uh, for you know safety around the house uh, for for families impacted by low vision and I know uh, Dan and Chris your organization MD Support and Bright Focus uh, were able to to partner on this. Do you have sort of general advice for um, uh, for around the house um, in terms of 
lighting and and other other issues that um, that are helpful. Well, that's a huge uh, topic that deserves a whole other chat session. I'm, uh, have you had a chat session on uh, living? We, we've we've addressed it on and off in the past. Just wondering, you know, in your experience, what's yeah. um, what's been uh, most in helpful my, around the house? In my experience, is uh, like uh, Chris said a minute ago, uh, having everything in its place and a place for everything is probably the best benefit because a person who uh, a person who even has sight is using their memory more than they're using their eyes as far as helping and doing things around the house. They don't have to look at everything they do. And so uh, this the, the kit that you mentioned uh, offers uh, lots of suggestions. Uh, there are several publications out there. Uh, I've got one, actually. It's called A Self-Help Guide to Non-Visual Skills, and that's a collection of tips and ideas from patients and professionals that can be obtained online and in large print. It's free uh, from uh, lowvision.preventblindness.org. That's uh, I'm chief editor uh, for that organization. So books like that are out there uh, to help. Uh, you know, I could sit here all day and list things like uh, you know, uh, avoid scatter rugs, uh, don't buy glass top tables, uh, paint your step edges white. There's a hundred things that uh, we could go on on forever, which I won't do, uh, that you can find in these publications. Great. That sounds good. And kind of, and, um, and I, oh, I, I don't want to leave out the low vision rehabilitation aspect. That is exactly what low vision rehabilitation is for. Uh, you work with an uh, occupational therapist or a CLVT or uh, some therapist who's trained in low vision and can introduce uh, patients to these tips and tricks uh, for living well uh, and, and, and improving their environment to make living actually possible in cases where they maybe didn't think it was possible, like identifying colors and separating socks and that kind of thing that uh, you don't have to give up. There's ways to do these things. You could also have your caregiver try, like make a sandwich with their eyes shut. And it is possible, but you don't think about it. But if your eyes are shut and you do, then you realize what they're going to need and able to do that themselves. Yeah. No, that's great. That that That's a pretty... Uh... Pretty uh, challenging way to 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 you know learn learn their experience. I think. Walk yeah. around the house with your eyes closed. You know, just try it and see what problems you run into and where you can you know help with some things and give you an idea. Yeah, you know, Speaking of around the house, I know uh, Chris and Dan, you you live in the Midwest, and it seems like year round there's some some pretty intense weather and, and storms that 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 come across your state. How do you uh, prepare? Logistically and, and emotionally, for um, uh, for for extreme weather uh, when your your household's impacted by low vision. Well, when you're preparing for a tornado, you just you know you've, we've grown up with it all our lives. There's no difference in the emotional or the preparation for it, whether you can see or can't see. You know, you go to the basement <laughs> and you get in your safe spot where the you know, and you grab your phone. Right now, we grab iPhones and. We have a TV down there, so we, if the power's on or whatever, and we watch the weather, you know, and you just sit there and you wait it out. That's what you do with tornadoes. It's not There's not a lot of preparation you can make because it's either here or it's not. And so, you know, you can, if the tornado, you prepare a little bit ahead of time, you know, if you want lots to eat when you're down there, you know, take that earlier and think maybe there'll be a tornado, but this is a last-minute type thing, and uh, that's, you the, the emotion is the same as it always was, you know, hope it doesn't come here, and that doesn't change much. You still just do the same thing you always did 
Now, we also have rough winters, and that's when it's helpful if Chris would walk ahead of me uh, and warn me of the ice spots. Oh, yeah. Because uh, even visual people don't see those sometimes. So she's always uh, warning me of what's ahead, and I appreciate that. That's great. We've uh, time for just a couple more questions. Um, Dan, I was wondering, um, your support group, uh, what would you say to people that maybe you have some reservations about about becoming part of a support group or someone that that's sort of uh, thinking that through? Like, how how do you what would you say to a person like that? Um, my my I have two hundred and ten support groups, uh, which I provide programs for through the internet. And most of them don't call it their support group. They call it their information group. And I think maybe that's what we ought to be calling it. Uh, once people have received support uh, from a support group, and they, when they get over the emotional aspects and learn the tricks, a lot of times they don't return to the support group. And the facilitators of these groups will, will mention that to me and say, well, I've lost a uh, membership. And I'd say, is that because uh, you gave them what they needed? If so, congratulations. Uh, but are you continuing to give them information? That's what they keep coming back for. Uh, so every one of my support groups gets information newly every month through a newsletter, and uh, that's why they keep returning, because they're going to hear now so they don't feel left out. They know there's not something out there that they haven't heard about. That's the greatest fear, that the cure is going to come and they're not going to know. And so uh, they'll keep coming back if they're getting information. Yeah, I think that, that's, uh, that's good advice. And we have a, a, a question from someone who's one, wondering, uh, Dan, do you have blurriness that comes with AMD? And if so, how do you, you know, any advice for, for people who, who experience blurriness? Well, blurriness can be caused simply by a, a lens problem or a misshapen eyeball. It doesn't have to be the retina. However, if you've been diagnosed with MD and it's progressive, uh, you will start with blurry vision and dim light uh, difficulties. That's the first thing to go. Uh, and then eventually you'll start losing color vision because we're talking about the cone cells, which are responsible for all of that. Uh, eventually, it'll progress to geographic atrophy if, if you live long enough. It's a very slow progression. And geographic atrophy is, is the advanced form of dry macular degeneration where you actually have blind spots. And uh, again, if you live long enough, those blind spots are going to combine and you'll lose totally uh, 35% of your visual field. And that's right there in the middle where you uh, read and drive and recognize faces. You will never go blind, uh, but you will uh, lose the details. And that's where we have the uh, devices and the, uh, and the uh, workarounds that can get you through that. We can do 99% of everything we do with our eyes, uh, healthy eyes, we can do with our eyes shut uh, because but we just don't we just need to learn how to do that at this age which is difficult for some people to to admit that they have to kind of go back to school and learn how to live again in a different way no it's it's uh appreciate that uh so dan and chris i really appreciate your being so generous with your time and 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 open and honest about how you you have addressed uh, changes in your life and and some very very uh, specific tips for for our audience. Any any kind of last minute uh, words you want to say? Sort of big big picture advice for uh, for those impacted by low vision. Well, from the caregiver's point of view, um, a caregiver would like just to have honesty 
from the person who has the vision problem so that we know what we're doing, if we're doing it right, if we're doing it wrong, if we're doing too much, or if we're doing too little, and then just work it out together what they need. And along with that is communication. Uh, the uh, the person who's affected should communicate uh, their needs. Otherwise, they're not going to be met. Uh, caregivers cannot be mind readers. Uh, and so communicate with them. If you don't uh, don't communicate with them, find somebody like Bright Focus to get your information from and to uh, to connect with other people. Uh, people need people. So uh, I think communication is probably the, the big answer there. And uh, Bright yeah. Focus does an outstanding job of not only supporting people with uh, Alzheimer's and macular degeneration and is it Parkinson's disease? Uh, glaucoma. Glaucoma, I'm sorry. Uh, but also contributes uh, very much to uh, research. And so those are, it's a, a very good organization. It's fulfilling both of those needs. And so I hope people will contribute. Well, th- uh, th- thank you, Dan. It's very kind of you. Um, again, just really appreciate the work you've done with, with your organization, MD Support, and for you and Chris uh, being so generous with your time. And uh, I think both of you uh, demonstrated firsthand the, the, the power of good, good, clear communication and honesty, and I think you've been very helpful to our audience today. So thank you very much for being a part of, a, a part of today's chat. And on behalf of Bright Focus Foundation, thanks for being with us today. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.